Oh, yeah. You know those sounds? <laughs> it means it's time for Inside Gene Shepherd here on the Library of Sound. I am your humble host. We've got part two of a program we heard part one of earlier on the Sounds Like Radio Library of Sound. Well, now it's time for part two. Let's see here. Part one was broadcast originally on WOR on December 17th of 1974, and I believe this one comes from the 18th. Yes, it does. December 18th, 1974, Gene Shepard's follow-up to the Glee Club program. Let's listen now to Inside Gene Shepard. Television. He 
He uh, used to uh, take a little lunch hour. He'd go out. You know, he was a TV newsman. Looked very official. In fact, the kind of guy that sleeps in uh, in uh, striped morning trousers. That kind. And uh, he, at the age of seven, he already had a, a full set of gray sideburns. Uh, yeah, some people are born official. Others, you know, have to go out and get a wig. But he uh, he was very official. And uh, and Hal had a certain straight quality. It still has. He's uh, now a very big newsman out on the West Coast, where a newsman, by the way, taking a different twist. You understand news out there is admittedly now showbiz on the West Coast. So it's quite common for a newsman to appear wearing, say, a rubber nose. And uh, he laughs like hell before the weather, and then, you know, his nose flies off. or, or they Yeah, they do all that stuff out there. There's, there's one uh, TV station. You know, it all started with that, you know, uh, hello, Roger, how are you, Bernie, and that kind of stuff. Slowly the news became more and more gradually, uh, let's say, uh, uh, showbiz and laugh a minute, until today, out on, the, out on the coast where things really do happen, there are certain newsmen, I'm not kidding you, where, where the blackout, they'll do a blackout right in the middle of the news, yeah, well, I call it. he'll say, and in Washington today, and then the screen goes black, and on animation you see four little rabbits running across the screen, hitting each other with salamis, and then there's a, a laugh track behind that. Now, the... <laughs> That's a, we haven't quite gotten to that here. New York is very, very conservative. We, we don't realize how conservative we are. And uh, it's, uh, it's kind of sad. You know that my show, how long have I been in New York? My show's still considered a kooky show in New York. Oh, poor New York. You know, it still believes in Cousin Brucey and all that sort of thing. You know, it's going to stick with that till the end. It's going to go down playing Ella Fitzgerald records to the very end. You know, chairman of the board. You know, sort of jazz. But uh, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> that's New York. We still preserve many artifacts. I mean, we have a mayor who looks concerned all the time. Most mayors around the country now, they do that. Every mayor I know around the country has got a usually a pretty good dancer, plays the harmonica. And uh, it's all showbiz the yard wide. So, nevertheless, this friend of mine used to, Christmas time, he loved to do this. He's a very official-looking newsman. looked very official. And he, he looked, the minute he would walk out in a department store anywhere, people would automatically start asking him directions. Uh, you know, well, where's the housewares department, sir? And he would stand by elevators and look very, <laughs> very profound. <laughs> well, he loved to say, people would come up and say, uh, excuse me, sir, and say, yes. So, yeah, could you tell me where the uh, ribbon department is? I need a new ribbon for my hair, sir. <laughs> Well, of course, the ribbon department is on the 14th floor. It's just past the housewares department. As you get off the elevator, turn right. Well, of course, that was the pet department uh, or the uh, the gun department. And uh, he spent his whole lunch hour misdirecting people. Now, I ask you, is this or is this not evil? Well, well now, wait a minute now. You don't have to answer just because I'm... You know, here and I'm official doesn't mean you have to agree with me. Is it evil, or is it just sneaky? Now, see, there's a, there's another possibility. Or is sneakiness evil in itself? And so, uh, as I as I say, you know, it's, uh, it's approaching Christmas time. We got we got to consider all these things. And if you'd like to get out of town for Christmas, how would you like to take a winter vacation? Uh, then meet Stella Solaris, the SS Stella Solaris, Stella Solaris. Solaris is a very interesting, it's Greek, you know, Solaris, Sol, the kind of sun. But how Stella got in there? 
How the hell does Stella, I guess, is a New York pronunciation for stellar, possibly. You know, referring to stars. Stella, you know. The Stella production. You know, you know what I'm talking about. All right, anyway, the SS Stella Solaris. She's a big, beautiful luxury liner. And she goes to San Juan, Puerto Rico. Uh, you can uh, stop at such exotic uh, uh, hangouts as Curaçao, Caracas, Trinidad, Martinique, and St. Thomas. So I would suggest you make your reservations now if you really want to do it up in style. Ship a fool. See your travel agent. They're called Costa Line, America's largest cruise ship at area 212-682-3505. You seen that commercial where that guy is standing on the on the fantail of a boat and uh, his, uh, his he says uh, he's looking very dreamily into the eyes of this girl and she looks out at the camera and says, do you know what Jack gave me for Christmas? And then he looks out again at you and sort of looks dreamy. She says, he gave me stars. He gave me a nighttime sky. And then they clink glasses, and it looks like they're drinking Alka-Seltzer. Or something like that. <laughs> I mean, there's always one discordant note. It never works, life. Never, not completely. So, uh, nevertheless, uh, I, uh, I, I, I must say that, uh, that as an experienced ho-ho type, I have been practicing my ho-ho. This is Christmas time, does it? I walk past Macy's. I just let off a ho-ho just out into the crowd, you know, just to keep up. Yeah, you never know, you know. Did you know that, that hidden among my trivia somewhere is a vast thick, it's about, I'd say it's about, it's about uh, as thick as your average, uh, uh, let's say, uh, beginning high school or let's say uh, grade school geography book. It's a pretty thick book. It's big. And it's the it's the handbook for Santa Clauses that is issued to Santa Clauses who are working the Macy beat. And that you have no idea what it takes to be a Santa Claus. Very, very involved and complex role. Because in our time, everyone is suspicious of benevolence. So you have to walk right for starters, a suspicious uh, line with most people. What do you got? What's it going to do to you, Santa? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> How come you're sitting here saying, ho, ho, who are you laughing at? Are you laughing at me? What is it? you laughing at me just because I'm Irish? Is that it? How'd you know I was Polish, you know? And uh, so you, you get, you get, it's a very touchy thing being Santa. Not easy. Oh, no, the, the, the person who is purely benevolent in our time, at any time, has been the most suspect of all people. I mean, the first caveman that, that came scrunching into the cave with a, with a, you know, a double mitt full of clams and looked around at the crowd and says, I'm buying here. Any of you want something here, take them. He's the first one to be looked at with great suspicion. What's he got up his sleeve, you know? What's he trying to do? I'll bet he's got them all stashed back there. And he's, you know, he's trying to make us, oh. And so, friends, tonight... I'm going to tell you, we have a very difficult show for you tonight because we are going to continue the story of the Glee Club, the episode which is a sickening episode in my life, and uh, um, perhaps maybe a, a clue to those of you who wonder how a humorist is born. A humorist is born out of diversity. It is only people who go sliding through life on those beautiful greased rails who become tragedians and who think life is a terrible, terrible plot again. Look at... Have you noticed it? Malin. He's a Yale man. He thinks life is a plot against Malin. 
And for God's sakes, I don't know what he would have been like if he had gone to the to the Indianapolis School of Orthodontistry. Uh, he had something to complain about. You look into those Indiana mouths for your, your few years, and you 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 see what life is about, Mailer. And I'll tell you, and, uh, so it's not easy. The more your skids are greased, the more you have a tragic view of life. And you see this as you go around to the different colleges. The, the more elegant the school, the more elegant the background of the people, the more somber, the more existential is the view of existence. So there must be some kind of a relationship. I can't figure it out, you know. I'm not going to lay it on you. I can't figure it out, but I'm not going to give it to you. Not tonight. Not before Christmas. This is W.O.R. New York. What we are going to give you is, oh, what a list. We're sure, we're sure, we're sure at Shopwell. Sure, you've got to make every holiday dollar buy more. So you'll find plenty of extra spend less specials during Shopwell's Holiday Food Festival. Count on it. Shopwell's unconditional guarantee guarantees it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, Shopwell's apple pie. Made with a fresh apple, 22-ounce package, 78 cents. Can't figure it out. It says read in a bucolic voice. What the hell is this? Was that bucolic? Yeah, I sure think it was. Sure damn well was. Yeah, I'll bet that's convenient. Known throughout the land. Every challenge meeting champions. Oh, am I on the air? Oh, I'll be damned. Seven Saints. I'm back on the radio. It's very exciting. I got a, you know, I got a letter from a, uh, from a person the other day, you know, this is an exciting uh, concept, really. person said, I couldn't believe it. Uh, I've been seeing your TV show. Uh, it says, I didn't know you was on the radio. Typical of my lesson is, you can notice the twisted context there. Uh, but uh, so I, I uh, for those of you who are curious, I've received several letters in uh, recent times about it. Our TV show is going back on in July on PBS, July and August. Yes, uh, that's the low rent time. It's on July and August on PBS, Public Broadcasting Network, where we are, not just locally here. So, uh, you know, speaking of, uh, of uh, what is about to transpire, and I'm going to give you plenty of warning, because um, make whatever plans you have um, to make. If you don't want to make them, that's up to you. But uh, if you recall here a couple of weeks ago, uh, it's been about a month now almost, I did... Uh, 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 a couple of evenings, in fact, four evenings at the American Place Theater of George Aid, and they were very successful evenings. Had a great time, and there were a lot of people showed up. And uh, so, as a net result, I am going to return to the American Place Theater by uh, by solemn demand. I will return there uh, the 30th of January through the 3rd, I believe, of February. Five nights whatever that boils up as beginning the 30th of January. Now, the American Place Theater, if you're curious, is a non-profit theatrical uh, establishment, a beautiful theater they have there, and an excellent little cabaret called, uh, uh, well, let's see, what do they call that cabaret? The uh, subplot. It's a beautiful little cabaret, and I'll be appearing in that cabaret. It's a special cabaret for cabaret-type performers. 
people have been there, like uh, Dick Sean and I think Liza Minnelli was there. And it's a cabaret, very definitely a cabaret set up there. So I w it's non-profit. It's a great evening. And uh, this particular uh, uh, series will be Gene Shepherd Plays Gene Shepherd. So I will be doing, <laughs> I will be doing my own works instead of George Aid, which should be interesting. And that's the 30th of January. So if you want to find out about it, Get in touch with the American Place Theater. It's at uh, 46th and 6th Avenue. I don't know exactly what the address is, the official address, but it's 46th and 6th. Beautiful, right in Midtown, right in the theater district. And uh, give them a call. It's the American Place Theater. Call them sometime during the day, and they'll let you know, you know, what the tickets are like and whether it's uh, how you do it and all that. So, nevertheless, I, uh, I've, you know, I, I've been... Uh, uh, harassed here. Three or four people uh, harassed me. It doesn't take many people to harass you. I've been harassed by one guy. The guy had a ball peen hammer. Uh, you can get you can get awful harassed. <laughs> I'll tell you. <laughs> oh yes. I mean, have you ever been in a fist fight? Have you? Well, no, no, no. no. Most people we never get into them. Uh, uh, did you know that Sherlock Holmes had several resounding fist fights? In his, you never think of Holmes having a fist fight, but Holmes was notoriously a good boxer. In fact, it uh, he was he was uh, uh, in one one uh, one particular story that Holmes was involved in. Holmes got into a fist fight with a guy, and he described it as quote a good left hook. No, he said he, he described it. Uh, Watson asked him, "Well, how did it go?" He says, "Well, Watson, he says." Uh, it was a simple confrontation. It was a good straight left versus a roughhouse slogger. Well, you can imagine who had the good straight left. So, <laughs> so you know, you never know about people. Uh, the, the, some of the most elegant people have a fantastic karate chop, which they keep concealed. On the other hand, some of the toughest-looking people tend to cry in the corner behind the fern plants. So uh, don't... Uh, you know, don't don't make any rash judgments. But uh, for those of you who uh, were uh, taken up completely with the story last night of the of the uh, of my episode with the Glee Club, I I ever since that time I felt very nervous about Glee Clubs because a terrible thing happened to me in that. And I remember I was a freshman in high school and I was in the basses, right? So I was singing the bass, and uh, we used to sing. Uh, one of our big favorites was "Can You Bake a Cherry Pie, Darling Billy?" You know that tune, right? I can bake a cherry. And the altos would come in, and the sopranos would come in, and we'd go zum, 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 zum. Once in a while, we'd say, darling Billy. <laughs> that was about our, all we ever did. Well, I was a notoriously successful bass, and, uh, and everything was going great. And I was getting closer and closer. Because, you see, when you started out as a, as a beginning bass singer in the, in the Glee Club, you sang down way in the back, in fact, you sang on the end of the basses. We had about ten basses in this thing. And you were uh, so far out in left field that you didn't even have to wear a glee club robe or anything like that. You were so far in the back, you were just in the gray shadows. Well, then, as, as time passed in the, in the three weeks that I, in the four weeks it really was, about roughly about the month, month and a half, as I, as I proved that I was an outstanding bass, I was driven by implacable motives. Not to sing better, but to get closer to Helen. Helen was a soprano down in the lower left-hand corner of the Glee Club. And so I was moving slowly to the left. I was taking 
uh, each each succeeding day, I would uh, I would sing so great that uh, <laughs> that the that the that the Glee Club choir director, Miss Altman, would move me again a little more towards the middle, see, until finally I worked right up to the head of the basses. And I was going, zum, zum, zum. Oh, fantastic. Zum, 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 zum. There's a church in the wild wood. Zum, 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 zum. Oh, God, it was great. Well, <laughs> I had flinging my arms around. So, I, I, uh, little, little did I realize that, that uh, in, in this field, as in any other field, talent will out. It really will. And if you recall, I was, I had, uh, I was really singing. You know, I wonder how much of, of almost anything you do, if you get good at it, is imagining something in your mind and then acting out that part. In short, if you can imagine yourself, you just say to yourself, you, you watch Tom Seaver sing, and you see Seaver wind up and pitch. And then you, you, you get up now, if, if somebody said to you, uh, uh, Mr. Bullard, why don't you pitch? Well, you get out there and you look kind of awkward. But if somebody says, why don't you play Tom Seaver? He gets out there, next thing you know, he's winding up. That's the way Seaver does it. Throws this zinging fastball. Somebody says, okay, now why don't you pitch? And then he's all awkward. He throws that little underheaded lob. <laughs> no, I'm very serious. That I think that it's a matter of attitude. One of the reasons why some guys are great presidents and others aren't is some guys know how to play president. I said, what would they like now? I said, well, they'd like, they'd like a somber look at this point. Uh, uh, sure, uh, many, many presidents in the past have been masters at this. Now, I'm not to say that there, that there isn't... Uh, talent consists of making other people feel you've got it. That's really the essence of what talent is. So, uh, and I'm not saying that that isn't a talent. It's a great talent. To make, to convince people that you've written a great novel when actually you've written something that nobody has ever finished the second chapter of, that's talent. And then you, it, you even go further than that to convince the critics that's a great novel, even though that they haven't finished it. The great unread novel of all time is Giles Goat Boy. I, know, I once know a guy who sentenced himself to finish it. And by the end of the third week, he was drinking heavily and he'd broken out badly and his skin was going to hell. Uh, a lot of his hair was coming out over the left ear, and so he finally gave it up. And he realized that he was not the many are called, few are chosen. That's the way it boils down to. So I'm singing away there. See? <laughs> I'm really doing it. Well, uh, I'm I, I working my way up, and all the while I'm playing. I never thought of myself as a singer. you got to remember that. I never thought of myself as a singer. I thought of myself as a, as a, as a, as a guy that was, you know, I said, well, I know, I've seen how singers are. I've seen Mario Lanz in the movie. You know, he was always singing things like, uh, you know, like, he was doing all this stuff and he'd swing his arms. So I, I would always imagine myself like Mario Lanz. I was going, I was really doing that. I was doing things like, uh, oh, we'd, we'd do some great pieces of music that where, where once in a while you could fling yourself around and do that kind of stuff like, uh, well, I was doing pretty good. And then one day, uh, this was uh, after about a month in the Glee Club, and we'd all been issued our official Glee Club robes, which were purple and white, had a big white collar, purple robe, and all that jazz. And uh, Miss Altman used to blow this little little mouth organ she had. You know, she'd go, and then she'd go, and we'd all go, 
And then, uh, whenever we would sing, she would she would mouth all the parts, and uh, she would she would bow, sort of mouth, she would wave her arms, and she would she would bend over towards the bass and go zoom zoom, you know. And uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I I know the scene. So at that, well, we, then we started to do fantastic stuff like uh, we did uh, a B minor mass. Uh, we did uh, uh, we, even one one hellish afternoon. We tried to sing the last movement of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. You know, uh, hymn to joy, Goethe, and all that, all that stuff. And so, uh, but all the while, see, I'm faking it away in the back there, doing great. I become the bulwark of the glee club, really. And the bass, you know, the bass is in the back there. I never tried to argue with the sopranos or the altos, but uh, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was Big Daddy in the bass section. Well, then, curious thing happened. Uh, one afternoon, uh, Miss Altman uh, called three of us into her little office. She had this little office where she kept all of her spare mouth organs and, uh, you know, all the stuff that uh, music teachers have, uh, like uh, piano books and, and the musty things. It's funny about the music uh, teachers there. They're all of us, all of a piece, along with our teachers. Uh, there used to be a teacher called a writing teacher. Did you ever hear of a writing teacher? Yes. They were almost in the same classification. They're, uh, you don't really accept them as real teachers. They teach you to write. You know, it's like <laughs> you make slant lines. So, uh, you know, you could you could fake slant lines. You don't have to be told how to, to, to make a slant line. But uh, they, they, they're sort of hanging onto the underbody of the faculty. And uh, Miss Altman was one of those. She wore these big uh, clamshells, the clamshells and stuff hanging from her, uh, from her, uh, she had the bracelet. She had a great big ring uh, that uh, some Mexican peasant gave her when she was on her famous trip to Acapulco, which she constantly told us about, where life really was lived to the fullest. She told us. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, our teachers tend to think that Mexicans live life to the fullest too. So, nevertheless, we uh, we we wound up one afternoon in the office. <laughs> and and uh, there was some kid that sang alto, and there was a girl that sang soprano. And I didn't know these other two, but uh, they one of them was a senior, one of them was, uh, I think, a junior. Now I was a freshman. So uh, Miss Altman says, I, I have uh, selected you three as to be our representatives in the all-city Christmas glee club. Good God, I was anointed. I was going to sing in the all-city Christmas glee club. Now, what is the all-city Christmas Well, they had all these high schools, see, and every year all the high schools with the, their, their best performers in the glee club would be uh, submitted to this crowd, and uh, they would all then go to the civic center and begin to rehearse from all the various schools, and they would have this big Christmas concert. Fantastic things, they. So, uh... <laughs> All right, remember, this was a very important part of my life. I was only a freshman, and I was a young freshman. Remember, recall that. I was like 12 and a half, see, maybe 13 at the very outside. So uh, I got all excited. I, run, I go running home. I said, you know, I told my, told my mother, I said, I'm in the all-city Christmas glee club. And she says, what? I says, I'm in the all-city Christmas glee club. And we're going to have this big concert. It's going to be the Civic Center. And the kids from George Rogers Clark and the... From uh, Sen and all these great high schools all around, Bloom Township, everything, all going to be there. We're going to sing it, and, and uh, they're going to give us special robes, the All City Glee Club robes. And then after that, we get a sweater that shows that we were in this. They're going to, yeah. oh, fantastic. My mother says, well, that's nice. Mothers never quite appreciate 
what you do. Oh, yeah, like the time I make the football team and I come home and I said, Ma, I made the football team. She said, oh, no, I'm so sorry. You know, she, she didn't like that. I said, Ma, I'm on the football team. What the hell is this? You know, what? And, the, and the old man says, no kidding. You know, that was his attitude towards it. Say, my, my kid brother's attitude was total disbelief. He did not believe me until I came home with a broken wrist. Then he believed it. You know, it was in a cast. So then he says, well, you must have made the team. So, uh, uh, nobody, uh, you, you, the person who must appreciate your own, uh, your own achievements is you. If, if that's the only one. Uh, at least you're not burned up with envy. Uh, everybody else is. So envy is an evil, an unmitigated evil. And before we go any further, speaking of evil, would you please, Al? I'm Fran Allison. On nights when you have trouble falling asleep, what are some of the things you do to help? Oh, okay. Am I back on? Right. Oh, gee. Oh, yeah, the lights on. How do you like that? Justice. Well, you'll be stunned by what happened after a cop's brutal murder in the onion field. Joseph Wambaugh's real-life suspense bestseller, available now in a Dell paperback. So don't miss the onion field. It's a grand union of all the things. Grand union. New low prices are here. Colored arrows make them clear. beef sale. And you got plenty of beefs probably, so get out down there. All USDA choice. For example, full cut sirloin steak only a dollar twenty-nine a pound. And that's a whoopee price. I'm crying out loud. Uh, say, uh, uh, yeah, here we go. Make, oh boy, there's even another one. Make your Christmas dinner an occasion. Go where the knowledgeable New Yorkers go. You know, the ones that know stuff. Take mother and the whole knowledgeable family to the press box steakhouse. 139 East 45th Street. At the press box, you'll be served a truly sumptuous Christmas dinner for only $7.95. And so, to take the uncertainty out of decision, call Mike Wayne. That's little Mike as opposed to Big John. That's Mike Wayne at YU6-4565, and he will reserve the best accommodations for you. Right next to Santa down there at the press box steakhouse. Okay? What are you saying in there? Uh, well, all right, let's try that. You, you, you're insisting? All right. Boy, these guys just never give up. They come down shotgun style. They just blow them at you. Someday you'll own. What the hell? Swing with it, buddy. Life is short. Sooner or later, you'll own general. <laughs> oh, yes. I have a feeling that Willie Loman would have loved this world had he stayed around long enough to see what's happening to it. This uh, we have here, uh, General Tires. Let's see, General Tires. They love me in Boston. They sure do. Yeah, here it is. No, General Tires. Don't have a copy. Well, I can add with the copy. Oh, yes, of course. General Tires' excellent steel-belted radios are now ready to go. And don't forget their slogan, you go in snow or we pay the tow. And you may be wishing you'd done something about that. So get out of General Tire and see them guys in Plainfield. General Tire Service, 815 West Front Street. There, that was nice. While you're there, ask for little Herb. Really shrinking, you know, what happens in this economy. It's getting worse and worse. 
Let's see. Uh, do we uh, have any more? Two more? What is this? All right, I'll do this one. Uh, I'll, I'll get this one out of the way here fast, and then we can get on. Because I do have to finish this story. I mean, I hate to interrupt the sales department like this. A continuous stream of messages. However, <laughs> beseechments is a closer. Blandishments, even better. But uh, we do have a spot here, so I'll, I'll lay it on you here. It's for New York Magazine. And, uh, you know, their, their hang-up with morning television continues. And for those of you who are following the, the continuing saga of New York Magazine's uh, morning television syndrome, they're still interested in that. They have another big story about that. This one is about somebody named uh, uh, Stephanie Edwards. Yes, uh, she's been dredged up out of the great Midwest make another try. Uh, but uh, will she join Sally Quinn in limbo? We'll read this exciting story in this week's New York Magazine. It's now on your newsstand. Come on, New York Magazine. Get on the shtick. <laughs> or maybe that's your trouble. You are on the shtick. Here we go. Hey, that's enough. Come on, kill it. That thing will go on for five minutes if you let it. That's an endless tape called the endless commercial tape. <laughs> when it doubt, sell something. <laughs> Well, you know, I'd love to finish the story. We only got a couple of minutes here. What is this? But uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, I'm going to have to start doing my stories in five or six show segments. You know, it's just getting to that point. It really is. In fact, uh, well, that's that's what. The, in fact, I know one magazine that got so so successful that they finally did away with all editorial content. People love the stuff. <laughs> That's the truth. I don't one magazine to finally get rid of all of its, uh, you know, it's got rid of all the cartoonists and the short story writers because they got so much advertising that now the magazine comes six, seven pounds every week, every month, you know, and it's uh, tremendous. And uh, it even costs a lot more. It, it was, what's so fascinating, it costs like three times more than when they had stuff in the magazine. I mean, to the, to, and the people keep buying it. That's what I don't understand. They love them ads. Well, no, I'm not going to try to finish my stuff. Forget it. Except I will point out to you that my episode with the Glee Club cost me three very good friends for at least six months before I was able to make a comeback. You separate yourself from your friends when you begin to show evidences of a, of a curious esoteric talent. It really, it really does. You can lose your friends quickly by suddenly blossoming out into a short story writer. And all the rest of them have trouble, you know, even writing checks. Uh, they begin to hate you for that. They make a big point not to read them. That's another big thing. You know. And uh, then, they, then they pretend that, well, what the hell, if I had the time, you know, I could. Well, that's another one. And so you get used to that. And so as I began, the, the leading zum-zummer which is what bass singers most always do. One of our big things was all the, all the bass singers used to sing this one. You remember this one? Many brave hearts are asleep in the deep, so beware, be. You like that? Believe it or not, I can hit the bottom one. Stay tuned tomorrow and see. <laughs> Stay tuned tomorrow and see what happened tonight. That Shepard was about to make his debut with the All-City Christmas Combined Glee Club and Choir. The All-Star Team. 
It was a sad scene, and it was a traumatic scene. I, I don't know whether I should even tell you the rest of that story. Suffice it to say that I've never forgotten it. It turned me into a bitter, sardonic, wise-cracking, wise guy that walks around and always says snappy remarks. Never got me any friends. Oh, yes, you know that almost every comic I know believes in something. He believed that if, if Nixon got out, life would be better. I never believed that. No. But that's a terrible thing, you see. It's a terrible thing. It really is. It's awesome sometimes. Uh, speaking of the awesome... Oh, my. There you have it, friends. On December 18th, broadcast of Gene Shepherd, part two of The Glee Club Story. I am your humble host for the Library of Sound. Till next time when we bring you more Gene Shepherd, more, well, you never know what we're going to bring you next time. Till then, though, I am your humble host saying so long for now. Thanks for listening and goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.